the show. Great to be with you today in the studio. Paul George, Adam Conk. Oh, oh! Conk, how do you spell that last name? Carefully. Carefully. C-O-N-Q-U-E. You know what it, I like to tell people? It's con- like conquer without the R. Conquestador. Right. Is it French? Is it, what it's is it? It's about as French as it gets. It means two things. Shellfish. Shell. So they named the, uh, but even more appropriate, it's basin. So like a shell, it looks like a basin, so that's why... But like a basin, a conch. A conch. Yeah. If you, um, have if you, you ever a conch fish? It's. Have you ever eaten conch? I haven't. I just I don't know how I feel about it yet. To be honest with you, I mean, would you eat a George? Like if I served you up a plate of George? So <laughs> would it be fair if I called you Adam, conchfish or Adam? You can call me anything you want. Okay, so I have I have eaten conch. I don't know how I feel about that. Okay, so have you ever had like um, mussels? Yeah. Okay, and and you kind of saute them, garlic and. Like a lot of times, like you can get them really good. Conk's kind of like that. It comes in like a little shell. I just, I don't know how I feel about this conversation. I just, I don't know. I mean, what if I told you I was. Adam, like, would you eat yourself? It's delicious to eat George. <laughs> you can serve up George any kind of way. <laughs> would you eat yourself, Adam? I, I don't think I would. Okay. I mean, if somebody gave it to me as a gift, I would be polite, I guess. But I don't think I would order it at a restaurant. Okay, but it's good. Give me I'll tell you that. Conk. No, it's, it's worth it. It's worth right. it. You should try it. I might change my mind about it. All right. Okay. So, have you seen this? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real, though? Uh, yeah, I am for real. Uh, so, I have a question for you, but have you seen this? It's called Men in Tights. Like the movie? No. Uh, so, <laughs> it's, a, it's a video of these guys who bike. Not like motorcycles, but get on... Bicycling. Bicycling. And they're in tights. Yeah. Okay. Because apparently, when you're really into it, um, that's what you got to do. Okay. So here's a question for you, and then you can ask me the same question. But here, here's the deal: is um, so I have a friend who's really into biking, goes all over m- hundreds of miles, does does the whole deal, and he says, you know, you have to wear this gear, uh, the tights. Okay. Uh, but he says the, the hardest part, the worst part of um, the tights is walking from your house to get on your bike. That's the awkward moment. So here's the question. once you're on the bike, it makes sense, I guess. Once you're on the bike, yeah, I guess it makes sense, and it's just part of the uniform, and you can't really kind of see the tights. Okay, so would you wear, if you bike, like, would you be a man in tights? I mean, if I was into it the way some of these guys are, yeah, but I probably won't go there. You probably won't. I just, I mean, that that's a major life decision. Am I someone who wears spandex tight shorts yeah, and, or not? And no offense to people who do it. I, I get it. It's part of the uniform and you Rocket. got this airflow and, and you need Rocket. the aerodynamic. You need to go as fast as you can. Even though you're not a pro at it, you, you definitely need that extra mile an hour just to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so here's the deal. I, I wouldn't wear just tights. So you just bicycle and sweatpants yeah i mean i've biked a lot but not a road bike but uh like mountain biking stuff i just wouldn't wear tights i just can't i just cannot can't wear, bring yourself to i do can't it. do it so i would maybe put shorts over my tights or something like that so you'd, you'd layer up i'd lay, <laughs> layer but up your baggy jeans might get caught in the chain and then then where are you, you know, well i wouldn't wear around. jeans have you ever gotten your shoestring stuck in your bike pedal I don't think so. That's like a nightmare. Yeah, that sounds pretty terrible. So, like, real biking shoes don't have shoestrings. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, like well, they or they'll have a strap that goes over the shoestring or something like that, and then you clip in because if your shoestring gets undone and it goes in your pedal, you're done, man. Oh yeah, that's you're falling that's over. Bad news, and that's happened to me before. <gasps> yeah. Well, I learned something new. I didn't know about the shoestringless shoes for yeah. bikes. So no tights for Adam and Paul. We're so let me this. ask you this, relating this to our spiritual life. Okay. <laughs> Are there certain spiritual practices or maybe, um, I don't know, things Catholics do that you might approach the same way to say, well, I'm just never going to do that. Like, I'm never going to wear tights, so I'm just not getting into that. Mm-hmm. Um for example, are certain religious orders just seem very strange to you or, you know, devotions that people have, like, I'm just not, I'm not, not going to go there. You know, it's an interesting question and I get it. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if some people look at certain religious orders and they're certain discerning and thinking, well, I would never wear, I could never wear blue. I could never wear like a <laughs> white robe all the time, Every day. you know, like the Dominicans or something <laughs> like that. And you know, here's what's interesting about the church. And this is what I love about the church is that there's so many uh, practices that are allowed and ways to pray and and the diversity in the church. I love that. And a lot of times I think people can get in their corners and they kind of fight about it. I'm like, why are you fighting over two things that are allowed, that are good, but just because it's your preference doesn't mean that you need to fight about it. If it's mm-hmm. not your preference, just be like, okay, what well, that's still allowed in the church to be able to pray that way or, or uh, do this tradition that way. But just because it's not your preference doesn't mean you need to point the fingers and tell people they're wrong. Right. Like, don't look at the guy on the bike and say, spandex is not good. Right. Quit wearing the spandex. Right. It's just not my preference. Mm-hmm. You know? You prefer a non-spandex life. I prefer non spandex life but i mean there's certain practices in the church you know that that uh ways to pray i mean how many different ways right can you pray and and different styles and different meditations and reflections and something that resonates you with you uh but doesn't resonate with someone else doesn't mean that it's wrong yeah and i think there's a way to be different that actually builds unity right and there's a way to be different that hurts unity. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a way to follow a calling from Jesus to a very specific way to be Catholic that actually enhances your ability to relate to other Catholics that are not called to the same thing. Yeah, I know a lot of times we get in, um, there's a lot of debate in the church, you know, sometimes around music, Yep. you know, different styles of music. And language. Language. Um, and I think a lot of times people who are most close-minded to things that are actually allowed are people who live in a bubble. They're, they're less traveled or less researched or less studied, and they've just honed in and they've, they've just, they just keep getting more and more kind of walls to what they do and how they do it. And then all of a sudden they begin to think, oh, well, the church only does it this way. And that's not always the case. You could actually be wrong. Yeah. And I think we all need to watch this, myself included, to, uh, to remember to promote Jesus because I think what happens is a lot of times we equate a certain cause or a certain way in the church as the way or mm-hmm. the cause, and we become evangelists of that way or that cause versus of Jesus Christ, right? Like the message always needs to be Jesus and not a way, you know? Like my my specific way of being Catholic is the way of being Catholic. Absolutely, and that's, I mean, the, the church is universal, 
And if we really mean that, if we really mean it as universal, then we have to understand how big the church is and how, you yeah. know, how, how much, you know, I, I love going different places and being in an authentic Christian Catholic environment and experience in different traditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is really cool. Like learning how people pray or um, how their maybe cultural traditions uh, kind of are, are part of, of their faith. And yeah. Uh, we have that here in, in, in the church down south and uh, oh, yeah. being Cajuns, you know, like there's certain, you know, um, cultural traditions that blend. And I, I don't know. I, I just I appreciate the mm. university of us, universality of the church. It's a beautiful word. This could be one of the deepest conversations that began with the word spandex. Well, you can always tie in spandex, apparently, uh, to the Christian life. Speaking of the diversity of the church. OK, so you and I. I don't know how often you look at the news. Tell me. I go through seasons. I mean, I'll glance at headlines once a day. Okay, so I, I'm I'm a few times a day headliner. Okay, so how often do you look at like church news? Same one, yeah. Okay, so at least once a day, and that's probably I would say more than most people would get on like a like a Catholic site and get the updated news. You mm-hmm. know, most people might you know might only get their, like, you know, Catholic headlines from, like, main news media sites, which is always, usually, for the most part, fake news or not the full story. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag fake news. Uh, but there are sites that you can go. You get updates on, like, hey, who's the new bishop here and what's the church saying here? I'm and what's such the, a nerd for that stuff. Next document here. I love uh, it. But recently, I yeah, I've been getting on, and it just seems to be so much controversy. Yeah. So when you talk about universality of the church— there's even controversy within the church on things. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy. It is. It is. And I and I don't know, to be honest with you, because in one breath you want to think, oh, man, is the church really in a special time of crisis? Like, are we really It's not in crisis time? as much as it is tension and tension. controversy. And, you know, I'm not an expert in, enough to know some of the answers to this these topics, but but the church is sometimes still wrestling over this. So, so you and I have talked a little bit off air about sort of the tension in China that's going on. Yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, I have a friend who's in China right now working in the underground church. He's a Catholic priest. He's undercover. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but mm-hmm. he's a Franciscan, um, so they say. Uh, and um, so he had to he had to shave. He had to you know he looks like a lay person now and uh, in normal clothes. And he's he's. Uh, doing ministry in the underground church. So he's there. And if you know anything about China, if you've been, you studied it, you know that there's two churches there, right? Mm-hmm. There's the above ground church that's recognized by the government, which is the communist government, and church officials who are, I don't know how it works, sort of dual appointed by the by the government and the Vatican. It, that's where the tension lies. And then there's the underground church where they would say that the more authentic gospel is lying, and that's where the people get who are getting persecuted, right? Yeah. So there's even tension around there of like, you know, uh, should, should the communist government of China be allowed to appoint church members? And then have the Vatican ratify them. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say ratify, you mean? Yeah, like, so, I mean, how bishops are elected has changed in the history of the church. It used to be, uh, you know, a town would get together and elect their own bishop which is kind of cool. Right. But the church law changes and and 
the law has been for quite some time that the Pope appoints bishops. Yeah, and, and the way, and maybe people can go back to this early, early episode on the show where we interviewed Bishop Sam Jacobs, and mm-hmm. I actually asked him the question, like, how bishops appointed, like, how's the the whole election process? So the Pope is the one who officially appoints the bishop, but he gets these recommendations, sort of this quasi sort of like voting that happens under the table between uh, bishops and clergy where they kind of appoint the best person through this you know this system yeah. and then it then it's presented to the pope and he's like oh i don't even know this guy yeah but i'm gonna officially appoint him and we have a long history in the church of fighting the the secular world's constant desire to appoint church members for itself mm. because that is the ultimate control to be able to because you can control the message that people hear you can control i mean there's a lot of control over the church that the secular world has always wanted to have and we fought you know, as a church, we fought against this a lot, and so it's it's really a confusing time about what's going on in China, and um, yeah, keep in touch with it because I don't know all the answers there. But it, me th- neither, me neither. And and look, I, I don't know, I don't, I mean, you know, it's way above my pay scale in a sense of I don't know what it's like to deal with a communist country, right? And have the church present there, right? You know, so and you know, if it was up to China, they'd probably say we don't even want the church here, yeah. You know, because we're not Christian. You know, we're you know we, we so. I don't know what that delicate about. I have no idea. It's way above, but th- there's certain tension, uh, you know, when you when you read on this, and uh, of course, there's tension in our culture about all these topics, which we'll get into more and more. I wish I was an expert in all of them. But the great news is, Jesus is still Lord. He is. He is the King of the Castle, and He wins. He, and he wins, wins all the time. So anyway, uh, we're going to get to some more cool topics today. We're actually going to have an amazing interview with some amazing people. <laughs> It's the Paul George Show. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, Adam Conk. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm really excited about our guest. I don't even know. I'm really joking about this, but it's, it's you and I. Um, yeah. So um, This is unprecedented. Yeah. So I took you out of the, the dunce corner. Which is, I don't even know what to do with my hands right now. Kind of fun. You're usually silent during the interview section, but mm-hmm. uh, there's some topics and things that we've been kind of been on the board we've been wanting to talk about. And so we're basically going to talk about them in the interview section. And This is awesome. And just keep going. It's a good show. It's a good topic. So in the last show, if people didn't listen, you can get the show on podcasts. You can go on iTunes, Paul George Show, Google Play website paulgeorge.la uh it's on there on soundcloud or whatever uh we had a great interview uh with alexis walkenstein okay and she wrote this book on fulton sheen and then she's working on this new movie that's coming out the apostle paul which is pretty cool and exciting the trailer is fascinating jim caviezel who played jesus in the passion is in the movie um and he's playing paul and no i think he plays luke really yeah he plays saint luke um and so if you've watched this, you need to watch the trailer, but it, 
I think it's going to be sort of on that level as far as quality of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she's working on this movie um, on on dating and relationships. This movie coming out with all this research about the breakdown on dating and the hookup culture the dating and, project. and family. And so uh, just recently I went to give a talk and I've been asked to do this more and more um, on dating and relationships. And I really want to get into this topic because it's a really important topic and it relates to dating and it builds into marriage and sort mm-hmm. of this idea of relationships. But um, I, I'm sure you see as well in, in ministry and dealing with people sort of this the breakdown of the culture when it comes to dating and marriage yeah. or relationships. Yeah, and... I mean, this is always a, a hot topic for young people, of course, but also I find married couples often don't know how to date each other. Yeah. And so I think these tips, I'm looking forward to this because yeah. I think we, you know, Alexa said something last week that fascinated me. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, she's right. But we've really gotten rid of a dating culture in general. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not saying everybody has to date other but. But what she meant by that and what I think is true of married couples and people preparing for marriage is that we have a hard time connecting on the level of intimacy mm-hmm. that we often were used to think about dating was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and in part it's, you know, in the young young adults, it's the hookup culture. People much rather or it's much easier to hook up with someone uh, physically than it is to date someone. Yeah. Right? Because there's no respect for the body and the dignity of the person and the pursuit and and whatnot, and you know, it's interesting. Obviously, we know fifty percent of marriages today end in divorce. And as Alexis was saying, is that fifty percent of of people eighteen and up aren't married? I mean, that's a huge without plans to get married. You know, yeah, or single people who want to get married, but there, there's guys out there like, yeah, I just don't want to do that. Mm. Uh, and the divorce rate for second marriages is just as high as first marriages. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're fifty percent likely to get divorced if you remarry you know and so here's what happens is uh, your patterns behavior continue so whatever was unsuccessful in your first marriage is going to be unsuccessful in your second marriage if things don't change and what you were saying and principles we'll talk about principles when you start before you're dating when you're dating overflow into your marriage so that you can have a happy and really fruitful uh, life and marriage. You know, it's interesting. We talk about the hookup culture. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but 80% of couples who cohabitate, who hook up before they're married, end in divorce. It goes up from 50% to 80%. And I'm not shocked. I mean... Uh, but but here's the cultural uh, sort of philosophy is, uh, let me test drive right. uh, before I buy. Right. And they think, oh, let me test drive marriage or, or this relationship, see if it works. But the opposite is true. You know, because we we put the cart before the horse, and then it it just ruins the relationship because yeah. the relationship's built on uh, this this sort of physical intimacy instead of this deep emotional and spiritual intimacy that needs to be built to have a strong relationship. Yeah, well, I just want to encourage folks as we go through these steps. Again, I'm looking forward to it. Um, that especially during Lent, this time of renewal, if we're struggling in our marriage at all. And we don't have a history of these steps. In other words, oh, I remember when this happened right. when we were dating. Like if we haven't gone through these foundational steps of building a relationship, it's never too late. No, this will translate. And, and 
and we'll talk about that. Yeah. You know, but it's never too late to begin again and, and to date your spouse again. So never too late. You know, here's, here's another interesting statistic and, and I'm only saying these cause I haven't written down, but 3% of 3% of couples who practice chastity before they're married, uh, uh, and share their faith in common and practice, uh, natural family planning, no birth control. Uh, it's a 3% divorce rate. That's a lot lower than 50. It's a lot lower than 80 than percent 80. of people who cohabitate. I mean, think about that. So if you're sitting out there and you say, well, uh, you know, do I want to be in the 80% or the 3%? I mean, everyone would say, I want to be in the 3%. I like, I want to be, I want to have a great loving relationship. No one goes into a relationship thinking I want it to be, um, I want it to end in divorce uh, and I want it to be unhappy. So of the people who stayed married, only 40% say they're in a happy marriage. So 60% of married couples who are still married, um, right, who didn't end in divorce, uh, 60% are in an unhappy marriage. So only 40% say that they're in a happy marriage. It's a tragedy. But that does mean that 60% of married people listening right now would call themselves unhappily married, which yeah. is amazing. Okay, so let's get into a few of these. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so I'm talking to young adults. Uh, here's here's the first one: is that uh, dating has meaning. Okay, dating has meaning in a sense that uh, you don't just date to hook up; like it serves a purpose. And back in the day, you used to call it courting, right? Mm -hmm. And I hate to sound old, but I don't want to sound old. There's certain principles that always work. It's sort of like gravity is always going to work. Uh, dating has a purpose. So if if I were to stick this pin in my ear, right, mm -hmm. that I'm holding, you'd be like, "What are you doing?" That's not what the pin is meant for. The pen's meant to write. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Right? So you mm -hmm. told me what the pen is meant for, and then all of a sudden started writing with it. And I'm like, oh, that's what it's meant for. I was using it wrong. What's happened is people are, are dating wrong. They're using dating wrong. Dating has a purpose. It has a meaning. Like this pen, what's it meant for? Dating is discernment. Mm -hmm. Discernment for what? Discernment for marriage. I mean, that's ultimately boiling it down. Very simple, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, a young lady in high school was, and, and you probably get these questions too, because you know you go to, you go to share the gospel with people and these kind of things, and then they say, "Well, here's my situation with my boyfriend. What do you think?" Right. And I say, "Well, it sounds like he's just playing around and not very serious. Yeah. And if you're not able to get married within like five to seven years, and he's doing these behaviors, you should dump him like tomorrow." <laughs> right. But for her, that's like the most tragic news right. she's ever heard. You yeah. don't understand, but. It, it's it's because of the purpose of the of the act of dating, right? Right, and d dating is discernment for marriage. So the reason that you date is not to hook up. The reason that you date is not to use the other person. The reason that you date is not just because you have nothing to do with your life. The reason you date is to say, is, am I compatible with this person? Is, does this have a future? And, and you kind of date, you go on dates. Um, and then here's the key to this point, is that you leave each other better off than you did before you met. Mm -hmm. So if you're not meant to be together, then you simply have discerned that, but you're each better off for dating, not worse off. So here's what happens in dating today. Um, you date someone, I date someone, and it doesn't work out. We get angry at each other. We break up. We hate each other for the rest of our life. We're worse off after dating yeah. instead of better, instead of preparing us for when we will meet the person that we're supposed to you know, marry, right? So, so dating has a purpose, and it has a timeline to it, like you said. Uh, so, so you date and it's like, ah, you know, we could be friends, but this is, this is not a, like a, 
moving on thing, then it's like, ah, oh, let's just end it and be friends and, and move on. Take the pressure off. Yeah, take the pressure off. Well, so what does that look like for a married couple that wants to start dating again? Like, what is the purpose of dating if you're already married? Well, the purpose of dating, and we'll get to it a little bit more, is uh, I think you always kind of date. You always have to uh, keep that keep that fire of pursuit mm-hmm. in there. You've already discerned that you're you're called to marriage, right? Uh, but but the art of dating kind of just continues. Like you you shouldn't leave that that whole idea of pursuing each other out of your marriage. Cool. All right. So here's the next point. Uh, so if you're single or if you're out there or even if you're married uh, at this point, dating starts now for you. What does that mean? You're like, I'm not dating anybody and I don't want to date anybody. But here's the deal. Uh, if dating doesn't start now for you, then when you want to date, you won't be ready to date. Mm-hmm. So that means you have to get yourself ready to date, right? Uh, you want to be a good husband and good wife. Guess what? You have to start now, which goes into the third point, right? I'm just weaving this right into the third point, All which right. is, uh, okay, get this. Become the person you're looking for is looking for. Oh. Okay, so everybody's making a list of someone that they want to marry, what type mm-hmm. of person, all right? Um, but they're not working on themselves. They're not saying, I want to become that type of person that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So we have these great qualities of people that we're looking for. And even in marriage, say, you know, I, I want to marry this type. I want my husband to be this this type or my wife to be this type. But yet we're saying that about the other person, but we're not looking in the mirror and doing the work for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we want our husband to be a certain way. or Then start working on yourself to become the person that you want them to be in a sense of become the person you're looking for is looking for. And if you're dating or even not dating, you're single, begin to work on yourself to become the type of person that you would want to marry. I think this is so important because, as you know, Paul, the the millennial generation that are practicing their faith and very into it and are single for a time, it's frustrating because they, and, and I hear this a lot, like, you know, God send me a husband, God send me a wife, right. and I can't seem to find these people. But I don't, I don't know, are we asking the question, well, one, does God want me to be, you know, pursuing people? Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing about it? And then two, how do I become, like you said, become that person that attracts? And where are these people? And and what are the character traits I can work on that would actually attract the type of person? I, I think that's huge because it's so frustrating to sit around and wait for a spouse when you don't know anything else to do. Yeah, and but the whole point is, and and this goes into the next point. Okay, is that. Uh, we need to pursue God first mm-hmm. and let him fill the desire of our heart. So, so that's the next point. Like the whole point is for us to grow in holiness. The whole point for me being in marriage, certainly, yes, secondary to love someone, to help my wife get to heaven. But first and foremost is my personal holiness, growing closer to God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so whatever state of life you're in, single, married, dating, the number one priority for you is to to grow closer to God and let God fill your desire, mm-hmm. your deep desire. Well, let me ask you this because I'm sure you've seen this working on college campuses and work with people, but the idea of the holy hookup. Yeah. So, and I've been there a lot actually, but flirt to convert. Well, you, you have you have the you have the experience of God together, whether it's a retreat or a mission trip or yeah whatever. So we experience God together, and then. 
in the midst of that, I want to grow closer to God, almost immediately there's this, I want to grow closer to this person as well. Right. Is 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 there a conflict there? Like, what would you say to, because um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of young people who love Jesus out there. Uh, is there some wisdom to kind of separating those ideas? That, like, how, how do you navigate those? Well, I think this whole idea of the hookup culture kind of spills over into the spiritual life of the of the culture of maybe young Catholics. And here's what I mean about that is that if you, if you have lack of boundaries, you, that's going to spill over into lack of boundaries in your spiritual life mm-hmm. and in your dating life. Mm-hmm. And so things that here's things that complicate dating. Um, there's, uh, there's no emotional boundaries. There's no physical boundaries or there's no spiritual boundaries. Mm-hmm. And when you date, and when you're in friendship, you have to have boundaries. You have to have spiritual boundaries, emotional boundaries, and physical boundaries. If you don't have those boundaries, dating will be very complicated. Yeah. Because what will happen is you'll say, well, I spir- feel spiritually connected to this person because we were in adoration and she was beautiful. And, but there's no discernment there. There's no practical discernment. You, you just have emotionally and spiritually crossed the boundary. You start praying together way too early in your relationship. Well, that's a spiritual boundary that's crossed that makes you feel like you're in love with this person, but you might not even get along with the person. You haven't even like <laughs> looked practically at the whole deal. So what happens is people cross those boundaries way too early. Mm, I love this because I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to judge. I'm thinking mainly of my own experience, but there's this rush to say, let's start going to mass together. No. And like maybe I'll put my arm around her at mass. Yeah. And like we met two weeks ago. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> And what I would say is that in virtue that you have to have the spiritual and emotional boundaries there, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, you know, if you're, if you're dating early on, like if this isn't the person that you're going to get engaged to and marry, that you shouldn't be spilling your guts emotionally to this person. You should have friendships and in prayer with Jesus pursuing him first. That's where you do that. Uh, spiritually, you shouldn't be praying with that person. It complicates the dating more than anything. Uh, because the spiritual boundaries are very, as you know, as a married man who prays with your spouse, they're intimate. Mm-hmm. That's an intimate thing. I talk to married couples all the time who say, we're afraid to pray together mm-hmm. because we know that it's got this deep emotional connection and we don't know how to get there. So if you're praying together and you're dating, well, what's happening is you're kind of emotionally um, and intimately really connecting. Yeah. But yet you haven't practically discerned the relationship we've kind of all made those mistakes yeah. um uh in, in that yeah and I, th- I guess to clarify too just so people don't get the wrong ideas like we obviously should pray with every other christian in appropriate circumstances like we're at mass together or talking yeah. about, but you're talking about like as a couple yeah let's pray like couples do right yeah go to it's mass different. together this this corporate prayer right right this group like prayer. be a church yes absolutely but be like yeah, the church first. Right. <laughs> what happens if if um, if I'm praying with someone? There's there's an emotional connection. I'm sharing my heart. Like, mm-hmm. what's more close to my heart than my prayer? Mm-hmm. Right. Individual prayer. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so you have to obviously be very virtuous in wh- who you share that with. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Accountability. You know. I got to have certain guys in my life I'm accountability have accountability with, um, but if if it's someone I was just dating randomly and they became my accountability, man, that's that's emotional boundaries that are crossed way too soon. Yeah. Cool. All right. You know what number one? 
You have no idea. Yeah, we're on number five. We're on number five. All right. Okay. So here's advice uh, for dating. Um, uh, two holes make a hole, not two halves. Dot, dot, dot. So deal with your crap. Whoa. So what happens in marriage is oftentimes people think two halves make a hole. Mm. We bring in, our, we bring in our, our half of ourself. And here's the reality of marriage is that two imperfect people get married. That's the reality. No one's perfect, right? But if you haven't deal, dealt with your stuff, maybe you need to go to counseling. Maybe you need spiritual direction. Maybe you need to deal with some things you've done. Uh, do the self-work to become the wholest person that you become before you get married. And so even if you're dating or you're single, become the whole person so that when you get to that point where you make a commitment to someone, you've dealt with your stuff. Yeah, I love this step because I think becoming a whole person is not the whole like, you know, achieve a certain level of virtue so that you're lovable idea. Right. It's more like what's holding you back from actually participating in the relationship in a healthy way, in right. a way that's 100% committed. And that's a different question. And, you know, we could be very good people in a lot of ways, yeah. but not able to actually connect relationally. Yeah. They're two different ideas. Yeah, and if you learn to deal with your crap now, excuse my language, and you, you learn the self-work, how, how to do that, then when you get married, you continue that. You continue mm -hmm. that, and, mm -hmm. and then you, you can continue it with your spouse. But if you close that off and you don't deal with it, you get married, it's just tension. There's constant tension of uh, this person obviously has behaviors that need to change, and they don't, and that person doesn't even know how to deal with them. Yeah, because, I mean, marriage really is... It's a saint factory when done correctly. And like you said, bringing your spouse into your lifelong journey of loving more mm -hmm. is one of the best things we could do for that yep. journey. But if we, if we don't, then we're really going to harm each other. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of danger in a marriage where we're not willing to admit that we have crap to deal with and we aren't dealing with it together. We're just going to grow distant. Yeah, so marriage puts a spotlight on us, and it and it illuminates all the cracks that we have in our life. That's mm -hmm. what marriage does. It's by nature a vocation, right, to, to help us grow and to become a saint and become holy. And what happens in marriage where people aren't loving it, walking together, is we point fingers at each other's cracks. You yeah. do this, you do this, you're like this, you're broken. You're A great marriage, a great marriage are the people who fall in love with those cracks who fall in love with that broken person inside the other and they journey together to become the fullness of the person that God created them to be. And I guess if you're saying this begin this can begin at dating, it begins at dating. What does that look like on that level? Let's say um you know, okay, I'm I'm all for it, Paul, to love like that. And I just met a lady, yeah, or just met a guy. What is this 100% gift? look like when it's still very early or, you know, you're kind of developing that. I, I would say you got to pray about it and say you met with someone, but you still have to deal with your stuff. Like, just be honest. Like, Hey, I, I need to deal with me right now. You know, and I know there was a point in my life or in college, I started thinking, I, want, I think I want to get married one day. I think that's, you know, in my discernment, yada, yada. But I, I got a lot of things I need to process and crap. I got to deal with. Now I remember at 19, just going to counseling on my own. Nobody told me I just checked in. And the counselor was like, hey, what do you want? I was like, I just need to talk through what I think are some obstacles in my life relationally. And we just started talking to him. And it was it was like the greatest decision I ever made. And then it set me up to learn how to deal with things as in the future. You know, So as you get married, more things will come up. But you've already 
gain the practice of working on those things. Mm. You know, so awesome. it's it's not a foreign uh, thing. So if dating, here here's the next one is set a pace to dating that reflects your prayer life. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Set a pace to dating that reflects your prayer life. You mentioned it earlier. We kind of just we pedal to the metal. I like this girl. I like this guy. Boom, full speed ahead. We'll be engaged in two weeks. <laughs> um, but if you're discerning and your prayer life is leading the way, then that sets the pace. Mm-hmm. Let your prayer life set the pace to your dating. And not the other way around. And not the other way around. Because we do this. If we go pedal to the metal with dating or, or any, anything new in our life, and then we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. That's a lot different than turning to Jesus and say, Jesus, should I make this decision that I'm about to make? Right. right? Like, should I invite this person into my life and then get his input before? Yeah. yeah. And that's hard to do. And I would say in marriages, let the pace of your prayer, let your prayer life uh, lead the way in how you love your spouse. Mm-hmm. So when you pray, we, sh- we should often ask the Lord in prayer, how can I love my spouse today? Like, so our love for our spouse should be coming out of our prayer. And that's a different question than, Lord, I'm having this issue. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. So before an issue even begins, Lord, how can I proactively love well today? With no issue yet, they just began. How can I love well? Yeah. And that's that's a different conversation with the Lord, I think. And how can I love this person when they're hard to love mm-hmm. right now? You know? Yeah. So in, in marriage, you would know this is that you both give 100%. You don't give 50% and 50%, and then that makes sort of, hey, we're both giving 50, and that means 100. Well, there's days where maybe the other person can only give 20%, mm. but you're still giving 100, right? Mm. And so marriage is this, is this this idea, this reality that you're each trying to give 100%, and then some days you fail in that, mm. and then you still love the other person. Yeah. Love it. All right. Uh, so... Uh, next one, uh, the, I'll, I'll lump these two together. Chastity in dating means everything. Amen, bro. Chastity in dating means everything because you learn to respect yourself, the other person, uh, each other's souls and bodies, and it complicates things a lot when you physically cross boundaries, as hard as that might be, and statistics will show that, right? Your success for a happy marriage is reflected in your ability to abstain and be chaste when you're dating, okay? Uh, because here's what here's what happens is uh, people, they, they get married and they have all the physical intimacy that they want for the rest of their life. And that's just not always the truth, mm-hmm. right? It's just, it's not the truth all the time. And so if you don't have ways to connect in intimacy outside of the physical in your relationship, you're done, you're toast. Yep. Call it quits. Because <laughs> yeah. there's other ways to have intimacy besides that. And what happens in our culture today is people rely on the physical intimacy. And when the physical intimacy ends, there's undesired, the relationship ends, it suffers. Because I think our heart wants, our heart's made for a gut-wrenching love, right? Like we were made to give it all yep. to God and neighbor, to lay down our life. And that desire, if not directed well, can lead to all kind of mistakes that you say are lifelong. Um, but but if we do actually win this this thing, if we actually direct it in a healthy way, the payoff is a deep friendship with our spouse yep. that the whole world longs for and salivates over. You know, a happy marriage. So let me ask you this question then. Let's say let's say we're married and 
we messed up a lot, let's say, uh, get before yep. marriage. There's somebody listening who their experience is not one of staying chased before marriage, mm-hmm. but they're married. Yeah. And they see the effects that that had. Yeah. How do you become, how do you take on a chaste heart in a marriage? I'm going to throw something radical at you because chastity is a virtue and virtue mm-hmm. is a habit. It's a grown habit that's built in, inside of you. Um, and, and here's the deal. When we talk about chastity and dating, uh, you have to understand that you have to have chastity in your marriage. Like you can't be married to someone and be looking at pornography or doing other things. You know, what happens is if you're willing to sleep someone or be physical with someone before you get married, guess what you're willing to do when you're married? Yeah. So, so, so the pattern continues, right? Uh, but chastity is a, is a virtue. It's a habit. And if, if you're married now and you had this past and that's creeped in your marriage, Chastity and marriage, learning to respect and love each other, learning to have intimacy when you when you can't have physical intimacy, uh, you know, learning uh, to be focused and loving God and your spouse, and and saying no to all the other lustful distractions out there. Right? If you haven't learned that practice, you have to build in the habit of it. So so here's a radical statement. Okay, um, maybe people won't agree, but if you haven't had chastity before you're married and you're married now and you're in this covenant, abstain for a while maybe maybe agree in prayer that hey we're gonna we're gonna take this amount of time to practice chastity and abstinence to build in the discipline and the virtue in our marriage so we can have it for the rest of our life not not the abstinence part but the the discipline and the virtue of chastity so if you see what i'm saying yeah yeah and i think there's some precedence for this you know a lot of people um will remember saint Teresa's parents they're canonized louis and zaylee martin uh, canonized saints of the church not too long ago. And what's fascinating, they, they got married later in life. They both were interested in religious life, and they thought that was their calling. They were both rejected by their orders that they were interested in because right. they felt it wasn't a good fit for them. Now, these are, these are saints. These are not bad people. It's not like, hey, you're not cut out. It's like, I really don't think God has that for you. So anyway, when they got married, they had this heart that longed for chastity, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. where they were. And... They thought God was calling them to a chaste marriage, like like Mary and Joseph. Right. And so for the first nine months of their marriage, they were completely chaste. They didn't consummate at all. Right. But then they felt called to have children, and so right. then they had nine kids. Uh, and and I've always, that witness of chastity, like they lived the married life chastely mm-hmm. for nine months. What that must have done for their friendship. Their friendship, yeah. And what happens, and what what I'm suggesting is not that, Totally. Not nine months necessarily. Okay. <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is that if you haven't had before you were dating that mm-hmm. virtue and that friendship and that discipline built in, it's okay to say in your marriage, why don't we why don't we try a time so we can just go on dates and not rely on the physical and just learn mm-hmm. how to communicate and have emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. Let's build those virtues in and then the physical will come naturally mm-hmm. in our marriage when we really feel like that we've built that in. So that's that's all I'm saying. I mean, there's nothing wrong with building in habits into your marriage that's going to make it stronger, right? That's, Absolutely. That's what we're getting that's at. That's kind of the point. So anyway, wow, what a conversation we went on. All right, let's take a break. It's the Paul George Show with Adam Conk. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
www.ohio.org. Welcome back to the show. Man, what a great one. What a great one. Yeah, that was fun. So we interviewed each other, basically. Yeah, it turns out you have a lot to say. <laughs> I actually had some stuff written down, which is very unusual, by the way. It is unusual. You don't you don't write often. But when you do write, apparently you write books. Yeah. So this is exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. You have a book coming out next month. Yeah. April 27th. Yeah. Rethink Happiness. Yes. It's like a real book, like with a real publisher. It has a cover? Yeah. Yeah, it's been edited. It's been designed. Uh, Ave Maria Press. I mean, you join a list of people that have written books and changed the world. You are one of them now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about all that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, really, when people say, you know, what was what was the point of writing the book? Uh, when I sat down to write the book, it was for just the one person. Like, if this book can change one person's life. And I know that maybe sounds cliche, but it's really why I wrote the book. Uh, and so I just want people to get it in their hands or give it to someone, uh, and maybe they have this this life changing encounter with God. Yeah, well, and not to sound over dramatic, but when you began the project to ending it, our country has been reminded because of events that there's a happiness issue, and that issue not only is sad, but it could also be dangerous in the sense of. We are not at our best humanity right. when we're unhappy. Right. And um, so I think God's timing in this and providence is, is clear. Like, this is an issue we all need to be talking about. You know, how to actually be happy for the sake of, of the future of our country, of, of, of our families, and, and our society in general. Well, I think that's what you said. Like, how do you actually be happy? Because everybody defines happiness in a different way. And, you know, John Paul II said, you know, uh, is it, it's happiness that you seek, you know, but, but what is it that fulfills our happiness? Like, what is it that fulfills our deepest desire? You know, everyone on the planet wants to be happy, desires to be happy. It's an aid. It's in our DNA. It's how we're created. Ultimately, it's what is it that really satisfies that desire to be happy? What really makes us happy? And I go through the book and I talk about all the obstacles of happiness, things that we latch onto, grab hold to, try to accomplish. I use part of my own story and testimony in there, interaction that I've had with people uh, and kind of bring their stories into it. You know, I talk about destinations of happiness, places that we might land and go. Uh, but ultimately, I come to this resolution of mm -hmm. what's the answer to happiness and, yeah. and then how do we get there? Like, how do we, how do we turn the corner and begin to... Uh, pursue the thing mm -hmm. that is going to fulfill us the most. Well, and writing is a journey, right? So you start with an idea and you even have an outline and maybe, you know, I don't know how detailed your thoughts were before the book began, but I'm pretty sure that by the end of it, God kind of reshaped some things and revealed some new things to you. So I mean, what, what have you taken away from this writing process? Well, I, I think I take away, honestly, that I write about things that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. at the same time. Like my own pursuit of happiness is in this book, right? Not only from my past journey and my, my story and testimony, but even today, like I think I think there's a lie in our culture that, you know, uh, you know, other people have it all together, mm -hmm. right? The reality of the human life is that it's a struggle. It's not always easy. There's ups and downs. There's an ebb and flow. And, um, you know, we don't always have the answer, have it together. And we have bad days. And, 
you know, I, I want that to come through. And I think in writing the book, realize that uh, as much as I desire happiness is I, I'm still on the journey, right? Yeah. I'm still on the journey of, of pursuing God and being the person that God wants me to be. Yeah. Well, I know one of the quotes um, that you you like about this and use often, and it's in the book, I'm sure, is uh, Pope Benedict kind of talking about the art of living well, right? And that right. evangelization is, is kind of teaching this art. And I, I'm fascinated by this because, especially as you explore the different destinations that people often mistake, you know, like success, money, you know, like once I get there, I'll arrive at happiness. Mm-hmm. This idea of an art versus like a science. And I think a lot of us treat happiness like a science. In other words, when I have the equation added up, on the other side will be happiness. And we get so disappointed because X plus Y doesn't equal happiness. Right. So what is, what is an, how does an art fit in? Like what, what does it mean to live life well from the standpoint of an art of living? Well, I mean, the way we live is we're painting a picture of our life. I mean, if you think it from an art perspective, you know, we're not, we're not robots or machinery. Like we're literally artists writing the story of our life. And one day we're going to die and there'll be this story about us. And what's it going to look like? What's the art piece going to look like? You know? And so when Cardinal Ratzinger, before he's Pope Benedict, wrote um, where I got the word rethink for rethink mm-hmm. happiness, the word rethink in the Greek means conversion. So what does it mean to really begin to have this conversion in our heart and our lives? It becomes this masterpiece. Um, and he says, you know, the, the conversion begins when we begin to ask questions about what does it mean to really live? What is the art of living life? What does it mm-hmm. mean to live our life, uh, to paint this masterpiece, this, this thing that we want to create, you know, this happiness that we desire? So that's, that's where the, the title came from, and I begin to research what, what he talks about. And, and ultimately, he gets into this idea of, of conversion and meeting Christ and walking with Christ and God becoming the ultimate fulfillment for our life. And really that we're not painting the picture of our life, but God through it, God's painting the picture of our life. And the more that we can kind of lean in and be in relationship with the master artist, you know, for lack of, you know, sort of this analogy, then the more that, that, that our life becomes really what it, we want it to be. I love that because as I'm thinking right away of when I've made art, whether it's music or something else, you always have this, when you're finished, you look at it and you're enjoying what you've done. But then there's also the experience of like going to a museum and seeing a master painter or a musician going to a concert and having this genius play. And it's a totally different experience. And I guess what you're saying, and I think this is profound, moves me, but like my life is not my product. Like, so the art of living is not so much learning how to make a life, but it's rather a recognition of a life that's giving to me that's beautiful, yeah. like because it comes from God. Yeah, and I talk about this. Like we want to live our life to the full, to the abundant life that God created us to live. And Jesus talks about that. Well, what does that even look like? What does it mean? Because we, we want our life to be this art, this masterpiece, and we want it to speak of something. We all desire that. And if we're not there, we're not going there. Uh, it's okay. Like God can meet us where we are, right where we are, and to take us uh, pers- you know, further on the journey, he can move us forward. So anyway, great show today, man. And uh, people can you know, get the book online, Amazon, Ave Maria Press. Um, so yeah, get it, share it with people. But uh, get the show, share the podcast, um, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, yeah, man, thanks so much. Great doing the show with you. It's Paul George Show. We'll be back next week. God bless.